Welcome to the podcast for Centerpoint Church. Located in the heart of Concord, New Hampshire, Centerpoint is all about living and sharing a life-changing relationship with Jesus. The message today is a part of that journey, and we are glad to have you join us. There, we got more coming. Here they come. Not going to be left behind. All right, well, once again, good morning. Um, hey, I've got a little bit of good news for you. You might remember a few weeks ago we talked about how our Mexico team, things had been shifting up a little, shifted up a little bit and the trip was going to be earlier and one of the things we were really praying about in the, in the preparation for that was there were two people whose passports were in the hands of the government, which also ought to make us feel awesome. Uh, and so we said, hey, we need to be praying about this. Uh, a bunch of you guys were praying about this and both passports have arrived. God can move even in the U.S. government. How cool is that, right? So everybody's passported up and ready to rock and roll. They'll be leaving in a couple of weeks. We're going to take some intentional time to pray over them next week. But I just wanted to share that good news for you. Uh, and uh, I knew you'd want to, want to hear that. And so we want to celebrate God's provision in hearing our prayers in that. So uh, this morning, we are going to jump into Acts chapter 9. You can turn there in your Bibles if you want to. Uh, if you got your paper Bible, go ahead. If, you'd li- if you don't have a paper Bible, but you'd like to read one, most of the pockets of the chairs in front of you should have one. Just kind of feel that. Don't like goose the person in front of you, but feel for the Bible and pull one out. And you can follow along in Acts chapter 9. If you're in one of the Burgundy Bibles from the pocket, it's probably right around page 890. Uh, you'd find this 890, 891. We're continuing to, to see how God captures uh, the life of a man named Saul. Uh, Saul, that we might also know as Paul, right? So we're going to talk, even talk a little bit about that, bounce around a little bit. But right now we know him as Saul. And uh, Jesus just grabs his life, almost literally grabs his life and turns him upside down and does something incredibly dramatic in calling him to himself. And, and, and Saul responds. And so we're looking at this response today and how his life is impacted, all right? So we're going to read beginning in verse, uh, kind of at the the second part of verse 19. So chapter 9, verse 19. You can follow along the screens if you want, or your phone or your paper Bible, but I'll read out loud for us. So this is again after his conversion and he uh, was prayed for and he received his sight again because Jesus made him blind and, and this is what happens flowing from that. Verse 19, Saul spent several days with the disciples uh, uh, in Damascus. Now once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. And all those who heard him were astonished and they asked, "Isn't, isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who called on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. After many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him, but Saul learned of their plan. Day and night, they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him, but his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the city wall. Now, when he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. 
He told them how Saul, on his journey, had seen the Lord, and that the Lord had spoken to him, and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. And when the believers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. When the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. So here we are. Paul's life has taken a turn. As we read through this, there were probably some things that maybe jumped out to you, maybe even just questions or things that you noticed about what we are reading there. It's, it's been fun to share those things with each other, and, and I'd love to hear from you again. Uh, what are you noticing in this passage that we read together here today? What stood out to you? Yeah, Iris? Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of similarity there, isn't it? Like the religious leaders uh, were threatening to kill Saul uh, just like they did Jesus. You might even remember that Jesus said that he was, that, that when um, he, Jesus was speaking to Ananias before Saul received his sight again, Jesus said, he's going to have to suffer. He's going to follow me, but he's going to suffer, right? So we see that taking place there. He's being brought into Jesus that way. What else did you notice? Go ahead and speak it out. Faith proven by action. Yeah, like with, with Saul, right? So he wasn't just a wallflower. His zeal translated to his zeal for Jesus. We learned that, that Saul was zealous for the law, zealous for Torah and temple. And here he is coming to uh, faith in Jesus as Messiah. And his zeal continued, but the object of his zeal has been changed. And his faith was put into action. Yeah, good. What else did we notice? Yeah. He escaped in a basket. How many of you have ever escaped in a basket? Right? So uh, what's the deal with the basket? So, so cities had walls. As a matter of fact, by nature, cities were walled groupings of people. That's what the term city meant. And so it was people who were afraid of those who would hurt them from the outside. They would huddle up together in these communities. They didn't have to be huge. It wasn't like everything was New York City. But uh, they would build then a wall around. And oftentimes these walls were large enough that they actually... For lack of a better term, they had apartments in them. They had some living quarters in them. Like they weren't, they weren't spacious, but I guess they had a view. Uh, so they would have these places in the wall. So it wasn't just like a fence like you might have in your backyard. It, it might have been a little bit more like, maybe not as, as grand, but a little bit more like the, the Great Wall of China, right? You see that, they would even like drive chariots on top of it. So some of the city walls were like that. And so uh, Paul's, or Saul, Saul's followers helped him escape. And so out of a window in the wall, they lowered him in a basket because the people who wanted to kill him were watching the gates. Well, that makes sense. Like he's got to leave at some point, right? We're going to wait him out. And so they would watch the gates kind of hide in this, maybe the shrubbery off to the side or something like this. And so they were waiting for him to come, uh, but he never showed up. Why? Because his people helped him escape by a basket Lord, the Lord, the basket down, and he got out and was able to escape. How cool is that? 
God provides, yeah, Jody. Yeah, Jody's talking about Barnabas. That, that's faith in action too. And so uh, when Saul went to Jerusalem, like the last time he was in Jerusalem, he was there to kill a bunch of people. So now this guy shows up, says, yay, I'm following Jesus too. And the people didn't buy it. And so Barnabas became, he, he kind of vouched for him uh, so that he could be accepted in the community. And it was probably a great cost to Barnabas. Right? Because you're, like you're saying, like nobody else was accepting Saul, but here's Barnabas standing up for him, welcoming him in as a brother. Yeah, that was really significant. Yeah. Yeah, kind of vouching for him. Was there any, anything else anybody noticed that you wanted to talk about? Yeah, Wendy. Yeah, <laughs> so Saul is an agitator. It was after he left and went to Tarsus that they had peace. <laughs> I had made that connection before. Uh, yeah, it was it was afterwards. So that yeah, but, but Saul is a bit of an agitator, right? Yeah, we see this here. Uh, he, again, this zeal is the Bible word that's often put on it. We might call it passion. We might call it jerkiness. I'm not sure. Like, I think Paul, Saul would have been a really hard person to be friends with. Like, dude, can you just dial it back a few notches and chill? But Saul had no chill. And, and he had no chill uh, when he was a, a Judaizer, kind of trying to convert to Judaism and protecting uh, temple and Torah and all that. He was zealous. He was all in. And then following Jesus. Like, Right away, we're told, he starts preaching Jesus. <laughs> and there he go. And where did he preach? He preached Jesus in the synagogues. Like, it wasn't like he just went to a street corner. He went to the synagogues, because, of course, he was a Pharisee of great standing, so he could come into the synagogues and have this great voice. But he used it to proclaim Jesus. You're right. Saul was an agitator. And so those of you who are peace people, that can we all just get along? Can we all just relax a little bit? Paul, Saul probably really annoys you, doesn't he? Um, those of us who might be a little bit more in the vein of agitator, he becomes sort of our spirit animal. And you know, like, we're like, that, that's the kind of guy I can relate to. And, and a lot of times we marry each other <laughs> and the different kinds of people. And uh, so, yeah, I love that you saw that. And, and I hadn't made the connection uh, like you did. Like once he left, there was peace. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The Holy Spirit was doing something in that. One more. Say it again. Bearing fruit. Yeah, you're talking about like right there at the end when it talks about the Holy Spirit was present there. Uh, they lived in the fear of the Lord and there was fruitfulness. Is that what you're referring to there? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's that last, that last uh, paragraph again. Um, the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria. So now notice that the church is expanding. The footprint of the church is growing here. Uh, enjoyed a time of peace. And was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. There was a fruitfulness in this. And I love how it talks about that, particularly at the end of, like, it, it's not just soul's agitation. It's like this whole consternation. We're feeling the tension of this. As we're reading the story, as we're being drawn into the story, we feel the tension of this whole thing. It seems like Saul is continually running for his life. There's people who want to kill him, and then he goes here, and they want to kill him too. And there's all of this tension pieces there. And it might lead us to believe, oh, we're, we're done now. 
Like the first few chapters of Acts were fantastic and we saw the gospel beginning to spread. We saw good things even in persecution, but here's Saul and this gets really bad and, and we're not sure what to think because he was trying to kill followers of Jesus and now he's claiming to be one and I'm not sure, right? So as the story unfolds, we can feel this, our own internal agitation, our own consternation and even wondering, is, is this thing still happening? Like, is this still on, Lord? And then Luke puts in here, yeah, there was this time of peace. And in the midst of this peace, there was fruitfulness. And so we see God at work both in the, the churning as well as in the peace. The churning as well as, as, well as the peace. And so we see this in, in Saul's life. Again, I love how we get to talk about these things uh, and, and learn from each other as we notice this. This is a part of what we get to do as we come to scripture, is we just begin by noticing. I know sometimes uh, we might feel like, I don't know how to read the Bible. We'll read the Bible and the first thing we do is we notice. What do we notice? Uh, maybe there's questions that arise. Maybe there's things that are really encouraging to us. Uh, maybe there's something that we're not sure we understand. We just notice these things. And so it's good for us to do this in community. Because scripture was actually meant to be a communal, it's a communal document. It's meant to be processed even together. All right? So this is good. I love when we get the, the chance to do this. Let me uh, just pause and pray for us. Let's let the things that the Spirit is bringing to our attention settle in a bit as he continues to teach us. So let me, let me pray. Father, we, uh, we gather here today in your name, and we are grateful to do so. You know, even, like, we all come from different places, and we're all at different places on our journey with you some of us have been walking with you for decades, and I pray that you would encourage us in our faith. Some are, are new to their walk with you, and I pray that you would grow us in our faith. Uh, some are probably here and maybe even listening in who, um, who aren't even sure that they want to follow you, and, and I pray that you would capture, capture them by your grace and the work of your spirit. For all of us, Father, would you give us eyes to see what we don't normally see? By your grace and through the power of your spirit, would you um, give us ears to hear what you would speak to us today through your word and through your spirit. And Father, in your grace and your mercy and your power, would you soften our hearts that are often very hard, maybe just distracted, but we can be also stubborn, so soften our hearts, be pliable before you today, that we might encounter you and be changed. That's our deepest desire. So work within us, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, as we look at uh, Saul's story, this, this bottom line thing that rings true is as Jesus changes everything. Like if there's something for us to take in our pocket today, it's just this realization, this understanding that Jesus changes everything, right? So we're going to take that one. We're going to put that in the pocket. We're going to carry that with us. And, and for some of us, it's going to lead to, uh, oh yeah, yeah, I see that. For others of us, maybe it's been a while since we've been walking with Jesus, or maybe we came to Jesus when we were a kid and it felt like our lives were just kind of a continuation of that. And sometimes it's a helpful reminder for us that, that Jesus changes everything. Um, and, and again, some of you are still kicking the tires. You're not sure what you think about Jesus, Jesus changes everything. Like sometimes we might in Christian circles try to do a, kind of a softer sell in this and we want to talk to you about the, the spinny rims and the leather accoutrements before you buy uh, when it comes to Jesus. But 
then we come across something like this. We're like, this seems different, right? So we've even got to grapple with what we see here from Saul in his life. Like he, he gave himself to Jesus in humble submission. It was in radical fashion. Very few of us have been knocked to our feet and blinded for a few days by Jesus. Some of us have been proverbially uh, knocked to our feet and our lives have been so radically turned upside down. But we see him in his humility give himself to Jesus and then, and then it just doesn't go the way that you might think it would. The way I might think it would. Like he's the man. Like this Saul is the one that we know as Apostle Paul. Like he wrote, uh, he was the, the, the largest contributor to the New Testament in his writings. Like he's the man. If anybody's gonna get a front row seat to the throne of God, it's gonna be him. And so if anybody would have a smooth ride in his faith, it seems like it would be him, doesn't it? But he doesn't. And so then it can beg the question for us, well, if it's not for him, <laughs> what about me, right? Right, Because God is drawing us in. And so while we are not uh, Paul, we are not Saul, that's good for us to understand. We don't want to just moralize what we see here in this thing. But we want to look at Saul's life. See, Luke is giving us this part of Saul's story on purpose. And there's a couple things that are going on here. One is he wants us to trust uh, Saul's, Paul's apostolic authority. He, he is an apostle. He himself will say that he is an apostle abnormally born. He, he wasn't like the other apostles who literally walked with Jesus. He was one who was knocked down, but he saw Jesus. So he is an apostle. And so we even receive his teachings as we get through a bunch of the New Testament, almost half of it. We get his teachings and they carry the authority, the apostolic authority. Because again, at this point, as Luke is writing this, he's recording the history of the early church here. There's a lot of questions of who's in charge here? Who's in charge here? And we'll find even in some of Paul's letters, there's people who are really good at talking. And so maybe they're in charge. There's people who have kind of some spectacular gifts. So maybe they're in charge. Who's in charge? That's one of the questions that Luke is helping us answer here because he's showing us how God's spirit is activated in Saul's, in Paul's life. And he carries with it an authority, the apostolic authority. So he's, Luke is giving us this. And he's drawing us more into the story. Like this is part of our family story. If you're a person of faith, if you're a Christian, this is a part of your family story. And even as we catch a glimpse of, of his journey and what this looks like, we see the impact that Jesus makes in a person's life. And the fact of the matter is Jesus changes everything. Jesus changes everything for Saul. Jesus changes everything for Matt. Jesus changes everything for Wendy. Jesus changes everything for Brian. Jesus changes everything. Jesus changes everything. Jesus is not a little bit of seasoning put on top. Jesus is not the sprinkles on top of the ice cream cone. It's not just a little bit that we put on our lives to make our lives that we're building, that we're constructing just a little bit better. Jesus changes everything. And we see that with Saul here. One of the places we see that is uh, Saul's submission to Jesus as Messiah. Right? Saul's submission to Jesus as Messiah, as Messiah changed everything for him. Just look at his, who he is and, and how his life goes. It changed his understanding of Israel's history. 
He was zealous as a guardian of what God had been doing through the people of Israel. He was jealous for his people. Even as his life in Christ continues, his heart beats fast for the nation, for the people of Israel. But it changed his understanding of the history. See, before his encounter with Jesus, he would read the Hebrew scriptures and Jesus had nothing to do with them other than what he would have considered his blasphemy. But as he encountered the risen Christ on that road to Damascus, he understood that Jesus is the one it's all been pointing to. He now understands that the Hebrew scriptures, which is the story of Israel recorded in God's activity through the scriptures, that the Hebrew scriptures are are a unified story that leads to the Messiah. And now Saul understands Messiah is Jesus of Nazareth. And it even began to to mess with and change his perspective on the temple. The temple was the sacred ground for him. But as we see as his life with Christ continues, he now understands Christ is the fulfillment of the temple, the heaven and earth place, the new Eden place. These are all the imagery that's given to temple. And so where he was a zealous protector and guardian of the purity and righteousness of temple, he now understands Jesus is the fulfillment of it. Jesus is the place where heaven and earth comes together, where God is birthing his new creation. And he understands that through the ascension of Jesus and the giving of the Holy Spirit, now there is a new people that God is forming and shaping for himself, a new people empowered by his spirit who are heaven and earth people. And so it's reframing his entire theology. It's reframing his entire relationship with God. He would have understood Yahweh as God. But through his confrontation by the risen Jesus, he now sees Jesus, and we're told here, as the son of God. He's beginning to to reframe his understanding of who God is and how God has reframed uh, reframed himself. It changes his sense of self. Who is he? Moving from self-righteous to self-denying. That is no small change that Jesus brings about. From self-righteous to self-emptying. And yet that's the way of Jesus. The self-emptying Savior, Messiah, and Lord. And Paul is drawn into that. You know, there isn't a a dramatic change in his name, but I'll talk a little bit about it now, and there's a good chance that I'm just going to refer to him as Paul moving forward. Um, So sometimes there are name changes in Scripture that are dramatic. There's like a moment. Um, And then there's times where a name changes, but it's not. It's mostly just changes for us uh, as we read the story. So Saul is his Hebrew name. And interestingly enough, his Hebrew name means desired one desired one. Uh, There may be a previous Saul that you're aware of. Go back in your memory bank, go back through the file, flip, 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 go back through the file and you find yourselves way back in 1 Samuel in the Old Testament where Israel was asking for a king, right? They wanted a king of power. They wanted dominance. They wanted victory and to win and God gave them what they asked for, a king named Saul. And again, it's desired. it It was God said, you got what you asked for. And, and Saul was a corrupted king. He, he, he didn't remain faithful to Yahweh in his tenure as king. But you got what you asked for. 
And in a lot of ways, we can, we can put that over Saul here too. Saul was a Pharisee of Pharisees, a Jew of Jew, a Hebrew of Hebrews. He had everything buttoned up. He was as self-righteous as you could possibly be as a person. Well, you got what you asked for. And, and what was the end result of that? It was violence. And whenever we see violence erupting in scripture, it's actually the not God way. And so here he is, so righteous but his life spews violence on behalf of that righteousness, that self-righteousness. And so you got what you asked for, it's Saul. And then pretty soon they're gonna be, it's actually not until chapter 13, they begin to just refer to him as uh, Paul. And it's just a little thing, Saul, um, also called Paul. And, and Paul was actually his Greek name, which again, it, it shows us something. It's not this big lightning flash of a thing, but part of what it shows us is he was a Hebrew of Hebrews, but what did Jesus say he had called him and commissioned him to? He had commissioned him to be an apostle to the Gentiles. And so his Greek name, his Gentile name was Paul. Now, Paul has a different meaning than Saul. It means little one. Again, I just, we don't have to dig too deep. We don't have to go too far down the rabbit hole. It becomes kind of a thing that goes, huh, interesting. Saul becomes Paul. The one that you asked for becomes the little one. The self-righteous becomes the self-emptying. See, all of like Jesus is changing the core of who he is. And that's what Jesus does. Jesus changes everything. Even his commission, so we saw in the chapter that we read last week, in the first part of chapter 9, that Jesus commissioned him as a, an apostle to the Gentiles. He had lived his whole life in service of Israel, temple, and Torah, and that was changing. Now, so there, there's a little bit of this that falls into, like it's not written explicitly. Some of it is written explicitly in scripture. Some of it is just people were trying to put some pieces together, all right? And here's what I mean by that. So in the passage that we read today, Luke is recording for us his time in Damascus and then he goes to Jerusalem. We're not given a lot of timeline in this thing, but Paul, right, Saul, um, Paul, he wrote a letter to the church in Galatia, which we have recorded for us as Galatians. It's one of the books of the New Testament. And in the beginning of this, we're going to read a section of it. He's filling in some gaps for us that Luke doesn't give us. And I just, it's just interesting. And so turn over to Galatians chapter 1, if you will. Galatians chapter 1, and I'm going to read verses 11 through 17. Now this is, again, penned by Paul himself, the same guy we've just been reading about. And he writes this beginning in verse 11. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. Right? He's recounting what happened to him. And he's carrying, like, this is, this is an authority statement. He didn't, it wasn't just passed down. He didn't study it. He didn't make it up on his own. It wasn't given to him by his mother. He received it from Jesus directly. Verse 13, for you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. Yep, we heard about that. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. 
But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but, listen to this, but I went into Arabia, and later I returned to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas, who's also called Peter, and stayed with him for 15 days. And I saw none of the other apostles, only James and the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I am writing to you is no lie. Then I went to Syria and Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praise God because of me. So this is his letter to the Christians in Galatia. And it's, it's filling in for us a little bit of what was going on. And so as we see what Luke is recording for us in Acts, there's, there's some time gap in there. Now, this, like, this, is, this is part of what happens. A lot of times we'll approach scripture and we want to read it like we do um, a news report or we want to view it like we do a video camera. I keep doing this when I talk about video cameras. Does anybody even remember video cameras that do this? Right? We're used to this, captured on video, right? And it tells us specifically what's happening. Scripture isn't written like that, and so sometimes it can confuse us a little bit. And so, um, don't know why Luke didn't include this in this portion of Acts, but Paul, in telling his own story, does include this dynamic, where he's in Damascus, that's where he goes, and he meets Ananias, he gets his sight back, and gets the Holy Spirit, he recovers, he even begins to preach Jesus there, and then we're told that he goes out into Arabia. Now, Arabia was kind of like all the area that's not Jerusalem. I think we have a slide that gives us a little bit of a map. Uh, a picture there. And so you can, you can begin to get a little bit of a sense of here. There's Damascus there towards the middle. And it went down into Arabia, maybe as far down into the Sinai part of that, maybe just off into the outskirts. But it's, it's outside of, of Israel. It's just this place that we had. So we don't know exactly what. We don't have recordings of what happened in that time other than what Paul just told us in his letter to the Galatians. Now, and, and this, so that's part where the Bible gives us this. Now there's some, like it, Breeds a curiosity for us. Like, why did he do that? What was he doing in that? And there's one particular writer that, that I was just taken with who's done a ton of study on Paul. And what he suggests, and I'm going to pass it on to you and you kind of do with it what you want to, right? And he, uh, he suggests that Paul kind of went on this journey because he had to refine himself and to refine his commission. And so if we were to trace that journey like it was there, we would find ourselves walking very similar footsteps, particularly of the prophet Elijah. And Elijah is the one who proclaimed Yahweh to the people of Israel. And so there was a sense in which as, uh, as Saul was going to Damascus, he carried sort of this commission from God to purify the people, which is why he was trying to kill Christians. But Jesus changes everything. He had to refine himself. He had to recalibrate. Like that commission doesn't work anymore. And so it's suggested that he went back maybe even as far as Mount Sinai, where God gave the law to Moses and the people of Israel. Even went back into some of that same territory, tracing some of the steps of Elijah where he got his commission. It even went so far as to say, um, can imagine a scenario where Saul turned in his old commission and picked up his new commission as an apostle to the Gentiles. 
And so even as he takes that journey, he doesn't go back to Jerusalem right away. He takes that journey and he goes back to Damascus, outside of Israel, right? And, so he, and that's where he begins to preach. And so he even talks about in the Acts occasion um, that he went back to Damascus and he was preaching in the synagogues there and he was preaching to anybody who would listen that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is Messiah, and that he was the Son of God. And so uh, Paul is taking this journey that's recalibrating his life. And it changes everything. Okay? It changes everything. Uh, listen to this. N.T. Wright says this about him. He says, Saul had been absolutely right in his devotion to the one God. <sighs> Good news, Saul. He had been absolutely right on his devotion to the one God, but absolutely wrong in his understanding of who that one God was and how his purposes would be fulfilled. He has been absolutely right in his devotion to Israel and Torah, but absolutely wrong in his view of Israel's vocation and identity, and even in the meaning of Torah itself. His lifelong loyalty was utterly right, but utterly misdirected. He had a zeal for God, but not, had not understood what the one God was up to until he met Jesus. And Jesus is the one who explained everything and pulled all the pieces together. And Jesus is the fulfillment of Torah and the Hebrew scriptures. Jesus is the fulfillment of temple. And so you begin to see this radical transformation that Jesus is doing at the core depths of who Saul is. We notice in this thing also, not only changed him, but his relationship with people. Look at the, uh, those he used to trust turned on him. The very people that he was their champion of now were trying to kill him. We get this, the Damascus Jews tried to kill him in verse 23. The Jerusalem Jews tried to kill him in verse 29. Like, it was an invitation to suffering. It was an invitation to struggle. God, what are you doing here? And continually, we see these places where you might expect friendliness, but he gets death threats. See, we often come to Jesus in those places also, right? And so when we come to Jesus, when we give our lives to him, it changes everything. It doesn't change everything all at once. It can change a lot, but it's a continual process where Christ is being formed in us and shaped in us as we walk with him. But he changes everything. He's not satisfied to just be a little bit of a sprinkle on top. He goes to the core of our being, a core of our identity, core of our understanding of how the world works. All those things are the places where Jesus rushes in because Jesus is Christ, the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. Jesus is king. And he reigns as Lord in our lives. And we even find that while we might expect in coming to Jesus, everything's going to be all hunky-dory. That which we've come to count on throughout our life sometimes turns on us. You see, we all have desires, the desire of the human condition, and we, in pursuit of satisfying those desires, we grasp all kinds of things. And we think that they're satisfying our desires. We think that they're fulfilling us. We think that they're giving us meaning. 
When in fact, as Jesus takes the blinders off and the scales fall off and we see him for who he is, we recognize that those things that have promised fulfillment are the very things that mean our demise. The things that have promised fulfillment are the very things that lead to our ruin. And so we buy into the systems of the world and the values of the world around us. But Jesus in his mercy and his grace shows us who he is and draws us into his life that turns our value systems upside down. It changes and transforms the affections of our heart. And we begin to understand our our desire is put there by God, but we have twisted it and warped it as we have pursued the idols and false gods that this world has to offer. And so, for example, we, we desire community. We desire belonging. Like that's a human desire. Even introverts, not going to make you admit it out loud in public, but even introverts desire to belong. I want to belong somewhere. And so in our pursuit of finding fulfillment in, in the desire to belong, we bend and morph ourselves to fit into certain groups. We behave in certain ways. We talk in certain ways. We spend in certain ways. We compromise what we might have otherwise thought to be true, but we bend it in order to fit, in order to belong. But when we awaken to Christ, what we see is those ways that we have contorted ourselves are actually destroying ourselves. And so in order to belong, we can compromise ourselves uh, sexually. And what we find is that it's not creating fulfillment in belonging, it's destroying, it's ransacking our soul, right? See how this begins to work. And so we long for security. And so we seek security in a wide variety of ways. We, we work and we work and we work to earn and earn and earn. But it's that very pursuit that will sabotage our own fullness as a human being and sabotages our souls. We all want power, the agency to discern for ourselves what our choices will be, to make our own choices, to do life as we see fit, right? That's what power is, the ability to do what we want, to govern ourselves, to have human agency. That desire for power finds expression in the taking of power. And when we take power, we crush others, we step on others, we ourselves are step on as others pursue their, their power. And what we find is that our pursuit of power actually steals and destroys. That's why so many of the conversations that are going on in our politic of this day are just imploding in destruction. Because it's one group that has felt un- underpowered by another group that then rises up and takes power and that the only way that they can have agency and power is by demeaning and belittling this. And so then this group fights back and no, you can't do that. And so you got groups of people that are fighting for power. And this is why the church is another way. The church is another way. It's not the ways of let's just all get along and find our peaceful way, but it's another thing altogether. Why? Because Jesus changes everything. Jesus changes the pursuits of our desires because we find that Jesus alone can satisfy our desires in a way that brings flourishing the way God intended. That's who Jesus is and that's what Jesus does. And the more we insist on pursuing the satisfaction of our desires in our own accord, the more it leads to our own captivity, destruction. 
Yeah, that's true. Right? And we're all at different places of figuring out how that's true. Some of you are at a place you're going, that's not true. I don't believe it. Headlong, I'm going down the road that I'm going to go down. Great, do that. We're here for you when, when you're ready and, and, and when you're at the end of things, right? Some of us are right smack in the middle of, oh, everything I thought I could count on isn't working. The systems that I thought I could depend on, are fine. I'm finding them to be completely untrustworthy. The things that I thought would give me agency and power are doing the exact opposite. And you're at a point of you're just emptied from this striving. Friends, Jesus changes everything. And that which we once thought we could count on, we begin to acknowledge will truly betray us and kill us. And so where do we go from there? The very things we mocked shamed and even sought to destroy as enemies, we now actually see his family. Do you see that with, with Saul here? Those that he thought he could count on were trying to kill him. But now he's coming in and he's been given this new family. Those he tried to kill became his family. Go back to verse, uh, chapter 9, verse 17. It's not on our slides for today, but you see this with Ananias. He's the first one that calls Saul Brother. We might easily pass right over it. But there it is in verse 17. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul. Completely reorients. Jesus is so powerful, he turns enemies into family. Doesn't just kill his enemies, right? He turns them into family. For those who come to him in repentance. So Ananias was the first to call him brother. We see this in Damascus. Verse 25, the lowering through the the window in the wall. The very people he came to Damascus to destroy are the ones who saved his hide by helping him escape. And then he comes to Jerusalem. We talked a little bit about that a minute ago too, right? He comes to Jerusalem, the hotbed of Judaism, the hotbed of Christianity in its fledgling, fledgling way. And here he is coming in. And as he comes into town, people are going, Souls in town, run. Scatter. Right? They're like going the opposite way. Going the opposite way. It's like that stupid game of lawn darts you used to play where you threw the thing up, where all your buddies were gathered around, you threw the thing up, and then you all ran and see whose foot it would impale. Right? Everybody's scattering. Just like, Saul's here. Scatter. Right? And so we're moving this thing. And then out of the shadows comes Barnabas, who comes along like a brother, and says, let me introduce you to the family. And so he goes and he meets with Peter and he meets with um, just a couple of the apostles there according to what he tells us in Galatians. But he's welcomed in to this new family. This is what Jesus does. This is what Jesus does. Changes everything. He does it. He is gracious. He is long-suffering. He is patient. But do not mistake his patience for acquiescence. Do not mistake his long-suffering for affirmation. For God loves you so much that he will work in your life in total transformation. Not the kind of total transformation that comes with the latest exercise gig, but a total transformation down to the deepest places of our souls. This is the work that Jesus does. Can you see that in Saul's life here? 
And so we ask the question, like, what's up with Saul? Like, Saul be, takes on the apostolic mantle and authority. And so we see that. So when Saul writes, when, when Paul writes, when Paul speaks, we, we pay attention to this. It, it's got a, a unique voice because he's got this apostolic voice. And so we see this. But we see that his voice has also been shaped through suffering. And Jesus said it would. Christianity is not an escape from struggle and suffering, but rather it offers a hopefulness in spite of it. Look at what's going on here. We see the cost of this, but look at what Paul writes in Romans chapter 8. Romans is one of the the books that he wrote. Romans chapter 8, verse 18. Right, so he just says this. He says this. I consider that our present sufferings, he can speak about sufferings, can he not? Can we, are we agreed that, that Paul isn't talking from the cheap seats when he talks about suffering? I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. There is a glory, the very glory of God being shaped and revealed as Jesus grows roots in our soul by the power of his spirit. This is the transformation of Jesus into the deepest places of our lives. And while there is suffering, there is the blessing of what he does. And, and again, I, I like what he, how Luke frames this for us here. Amidst the churning, and we get to this end here, and it might very well be because Saul left But we see that through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the fear of God, there was peace in this place and there was fruitfulness. The church is on the move. And the very places that we think the church is about to be snuffed out is the very place that God says, but I am growing, I am refining, I am shaping, I am instilling myself. For we count our sufferings nothing in comparison to the glory that awaits us in his presence. And so while we might first look at this and go, Paul, you kind of go do you. I'm kind of hoping to avoid all of this. We don't have to be afraid of the suffering that comes. Suffering and struggle is a part of following Jesus. It is. Is. It will come in different shapes and sizes. It will come in different forms. But suffering and struggle is a part of the Christian life. As American Christians, we have normalized peacefulness. And we have made suffering and struggle the anomaly. What Acts is showing us over and over again, and if we will pay attention to world Christians, to global Christians even in our day, we will begin to recognize that struggling and suffering is a part of following Jesus. Not because Jesus is masochistic, but because Jesus is Lord, and the gods of this world will not stand for it, and will always come against those who bear the lordship of Jesus by his grace. And so we are welcomed into a different life that we might bear witness to who he is. And our witness stands firm in the midst of the suffering and the struggle, whatever shape that takes. For God's glory to be revealed today, tomorrow, and into eternity. For even in the suffering, even in the struggle, there is, listen, there is blessing. Because God has not turned away. God has not looked another direction. God has not forsaken. For God himself walked the way of suffering and struggle. And he journeys with his people who walk through that same path. And so let's talk about the big three today. 
We'll talk about the big three. What are some things we're going to take away? I'm just throwing these things out there for you. You, God might do something completely different in you. You go with what God says, all right? But some things that we might be able to hang on to. Basic thing here is it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's not about um, the accoutrements of religion. It's not about even the theology that I make of it. It's all about Jesus. It all boils down to Jesus. Scripture is a unified story that leads to Jesus because he's Messiah. It invites this deep work because it's all about Jesus. Big three, number two. Jesus changes everything. It's all about Jesus and Jesus changes everything. It's both unsettling and an eternal divine blessing. And the third one here, Paul stands out. Let's be clear. Paul's story is not my story. Paul's story is not your story. I'm not Paul. You're not Paul. There's something unique that God is doing in Paul. Let's just acknowledge that. And it's not my story. It's not your story. But there are things that we can learn from his life. There's things that we can pay attention. And so we can trust Paul's apostolic authority as we study scripture and as we read the writings that God has given us and preserved through the generations. We can trust his apostolic authority in what life with Christ looks like. But let's all be clear. Paul is unique. Paul is different. And he is not me. And I am not him, and nor are you. Right? So just a little reminder for us. So those are the big three for us. Again, there might be something else that God is stirring in your life. This is how scripture works. God teaches us. And so as we see God radically transform Saul, we see a good work. A good work where God is fulfilling his intentions and commission. And we can trust that same God in our lives. Amidst victories and sorrows, God is moving. It's all about Jesus. Jesus changes everything. Let me pray for us. Father, stir in us by the power of your spirit. Change us. Yeah, change us. There's some pieces that I really like about our lives that we're afraid you are going to change. But in faith, we say change even those. Do what you need to for our good and your glory. We submit ourselves to you. And we proclaim today that we trust you. Amen. Stand with me if you would. All right, it's all about Jesus. And Jesus changes everything. Take it to the bank. If you have never given your life to Jesus, and you're like, sign me up for more suffering and struggle, I want a piece of that action. And that's you today, and God's spirit is turning you today. We'd love to talk to you about that. We'd love to invite you in. We become family. That's what Jesus does. And so we got a prayer team that's going to be right up here. You just come and say, I want Jesus, and all that comes with it as best I can, right? You come up here, we'll get that ball rolling. We'd love to pray with you uh, that you might experience this new life, this new life of Jesus. He can invite you into that today, and you can know that life before you go home today. If there's any other reason we can pray for you, we'd love the chance to be able to do that as well. And as you go, hang out a little bit in the parking lot, hang out, talk to some folks, be church family together. This is part of what Jesus is doing and shaping us here, all right? And have a phenomenal week as you walk with him. Thanks for being here. 
take a little bit to stop and reflect on what God might be saying to you and how you'll respond to him today. Wherever you are on your journey of faith, we are here to serve you. Find us at centerpointnh.org and join us on the journey of living and sharing a life-changing relationship with Jesus.